pray and ask God's favor. Um, join me online, please, in prayer. Abba Father, uh, again, uh, I somehow want to say thank you. Thank you for unfailing love and the mercy that's renewed every morning. Uh, right now, would you get our hearts ready to hear your word and, and your Holy Spirit through your word? Please, this is so important. Abba, help us to believe, to not doubt. And if we do doubt, to wrestle with those things and figure this stuff out, to grow mature in our faith. Uh, thank you for everyone that's here. Uh, we need your favor. Bless now, Abba. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's look at this for a second, just by way of reminder. Last Sunday, we looked at Philippians 3, 12 to 16, which really gives the emphasis on Paul's ability to forget what's behind and to press forward, to lean in. And, and the language is really intense, to lean in with all that he has to move forward to reaching the goal. All right, now the goal, the word that's very important there is skapos, and it means the marker. Sometimes it was just a stone painted white. That's all it was. But in this stadium where the Olympic Games were played, they would keep their eye on that stone, that marker. And they literally would give everything they had in the particular race to be the first one to cross by that marker stone, thereby winning, winning the race and all the glory and the accolades of being an Olympic athlete. Uh, Paul's life, as you remember in the past, was extremely prestigious. Think of, it, think of someone having multiple PhDs. They're, they're the elite of the elite. But there was a dark side to Paul's past. He was guilty of abusing human beings. He was involved in, in horrific abuse toward these curious people known as Christians. And his self-righteous theology and his self-righteous view of what is right led him to justify abusing people. There was a dark side to all that prestige. And the bottom line, as Paul said, when I came to truly know Jesus Christ, I realized I had to put that all behind me. And I've got to count it as something that's really nasty. It's not like I'm letting it, behind, letting it go and then secretly regretting I could get it back. You know, oh yeah, yeah, I've got to put this stuff behind me, all my important stuff. Oh boy, sure wish I could go back there and be a Pharisee again and enjoy the glory of that. No, he was saying, all that has been considered now is, is street waste. I don't want anything to do with it anymore. And then he says, this one thing I do, I forget what's behind and I push forward. We've got to learn that. We're going to come back to that idea. Remember Philippians, the self-emptied life. What would it look like to be self-emptied where you're not consumed? Uh, I remember when I was a, a young Bible student at Williams Baptist College and the feared and the, the mysterious Daniel Harrison, the, the man whose voice had to be something like Moses, brilliant, brilliant scholar, uh, had a big influence on me. Daniel kept using this word, egocentrism, egocentrism. And I was the one kid in class, Pam, who thought, I don't know what that word means. I'm paying big bucks for this. I'm going to ask. And of course, you know, there's probably several others in the class that don't have the courage to do that. So, so I said, uh, you know, Professor Harrison, what does egocentrism mean? And he gave me that look of, you idiot. He walks over to the board with a piece of chalk. That's, that's something they used to use to write. Anyway, he took a piece of chalk and he wrote a big I like this, and then he looked at me. Then he wrote a big circle around it. <laughs> and at that point, I was like, oh, I remember that word now. <laughs> you know, I was embarrassed. But, as, you know, hey, I had the guts to ask, and I, I had never forgotten that, I promise you. I still feel embarrassment when I hear the word egocentrism. Um, it means to be full of yourself. It means you are the center of your own world. 
or in today's vernacular, it's all about you. And Paul says, not anymore. It's not about me anymore. And he says, Timothy's that way. And so is an Epaphroditus. It's not about us anymore. It is absolutely about the Lord Jesus Christ. So, with this in mind, I want to read Philippians 3, 17 to 21 and walk through some amazing teaching by the Apostle Paul. He says, brothers and sisters, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk of whom I often told you and now tell you even as I weep, they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is their shame, who have their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our lowly condition into conformity with his glorious body by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Wow. Let's pick up a couple of key ideas. What he says here, join in following my example. This is the only time the word sumimetai which means corporate imitation. It means we're going to work together to imitate each other, imitate Jesus. It's the only time this word is found in the Greek New Testament. And guess what? It's the only time it's found in all of Greek literature. Where this word came from, no one knows. We may conclude it's from the Holy Spirit given to Paul because Paul thought, you know what? Discipleship is imitation, and we don't do it alone. We don't isolate to imitate. We don't isolate to imitate Jesus. We literally fellowship. We do this thing together. Soon with mimesis, mimic, to imitate. Sumimeta. We do this thing together. And observe those who walk according to the pattern. Remember the word skapos? The marked stone, the white stone? This is the exact word that Paul uses. So brothers and sisters, join in following my example and keep your eye, the skapos, on people. Instead of staring at a white stone, I want you to stare at people. But a very special kind of person I want you to follow the people who, who live out the pattern of following Jesus Christ. Lisa uh, is a wonderful seamstress. She buys patterns and she makes clothes for the kids and the grandkids. And uh, I don't know, you probably made 200 masks that you've given to people, you know, and and there's a pattern involved. Andrea, you sew, and many of you folks sew. Uh, Martha Jane sews. Martha Jane's here in Tennessee. Uh, there's a pattern. Some of you guys are very skilled in carpentry and things, and you have schematics or blueprints, and you do things according to this pattern. All right. Uh, Paul is saying, treat as though it's a white stone in an Olympic game. I want you to keep your eyes on the people that have a pattern according to what you've seen in me, what you've seen in Timothy, what you've seen in Epaphroditus, what you've seen in Jesus. Keep your eye on those kinds of people. It's critical. So guess what? All of a sudden we kind of, we have a new insight. This forgetting what's behind stuff in this pressing forward to what's in front of us stuff, is this right here. This is it. This is the pressing forward. This is the leaning in. 
where we keep our eyes on the right people. Uh, the pictures here are, are, are just to get you thinking, and, and the, the guy on, on your far left, that is an artist rendering of the Apostle Paul. We have no idea what he looks like. He looks extremely Caucasian at that point, and I'm sorry if that offends anybody. He was not Caucasian, all right? Uh, the, uh, Pat, you may remember this. We do actually have the only, there's a Greek document uh, that someone describes what Paul looked like. It's the only thing we have uh, in all of history that describes what Paul looked like. Scarred, short, possibly bow-legged, or when he, was, when he would stand, he would have a ha- habit of standing like, all right, I got it, game on. Firm stance, uh, unibrow, no kidding, yeah. unibrow, not kidding, and they said that he had the face of an angel. And this is written, this writer is describing what Paul looked like because Thecla, an amazing woman, was going to go try to find him in a marketplace. This is Paul, and this is what he looks like. Can't miss him. Scarred, unibrow. Stands like a man, like he means it. Face of an angel. Yeah, pretty awesome. Um, uh, some renderings of, of, of a disciple, Jim Cavizel in another role that he played. The guy in the middle, uh, if you've seen, anyone seen the series The Chosen? Isn't it amazing? Pam, yeah. you've seen it. Download the app, Chosen, and watch the series. Season two is almost out. Season two. I'm not going to break a Mandalorian. Okay, we're talking about The Chosen right now, all right? Forget Mandalorian, Chosen. Watch it. It is an effort to really kind of recreate the historical background. And it's like you can see it, smell it, hear it. It's, it's pretty amazing. Uh, this, this man plays the character of Jesus. Does anybody know who the woman is in black and white? Maybe some of the older? Anybody? This is a very famous woman named Elizabeth Elliot. Her husband, Jim, got his pilot's license to, to, for missionary aviation uh, and flew he and his, his buddy, Nate Saint, to reach the Alka Indians. Guess where he got his pilot's license for mission aviation? Prairie College in Three Hills, Alberta, where Justin Allison is professor of New Testament. How cool is that? Huh? Jim and Nate were told, do not go there. The Alka Indians are trouble. It's too dangerous. And they went anyway. And they lost their lives. They were killed by the Indians. Okay? And Elizabeth Elliot become profoundly famous because she made a decision to go back to meet those people. And guess what she did with the Alka Indians? She announced that she forgave them for taking the life of her husband and her good friends. And something happened between Elizabeth and these tribesmen, and they trusted her, and all of a sudden, the gospel is planted among the Alka people. And a book was born called Through Gates of Splendor. If you get a chance, you need to read it, okay? How's that for putting some things behind? Yeah. Traveling to the very people that took your husband's life. How's that for putting it past and leaning in? This other guy, uh, that's Hudson Taylor. He is the one man that went to China decades ago and started the Inland China Mission. He brought the gospel to the Chinese. And as a result of that, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of thousands of Chinese have become believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. But he did it with great sacrifice, okay? So Paul would say this, hey, these people here, they're scopos. They're the markers. I want you to keep your eye on those people. Now, if you look closely up here, I put this here um, to provoke you just a little bit to say, hey, you know what? If you're like me, there's some people in my life I need to put behind me. Okay. Remember, your rearview mirror needs to be pretty small. Okay. And your windshield needs to be really big. 
Okay? Some of us have this all flipped. We have these little tidy images of Jesus and Paul and good people and Timothy and the disciples. Got little, little images and this little small thing we look at now and again as we're reflecting what happened Sunday. But out front in the windshield, we have sometimes got the wrong people staring at us right in the face. We need to flip that all around. We need to know, hey, that person is not healthy in my life. Uh, What happened last year, what happened 50 years ago is not healthy. And I need to get them out of the windshield and I need to get them in the rearview mirror. I need to move past that. What happens? And I'm asking, I, I want you to respond. What happens if we fixate on the people who hurt us and disappoint us? What happens to our souls? If you fixate on the people that hurt us, disappoint us, fail us, lie to us, and go on and on and on. What happens if we fixate on those people? We wither. We wither. We become bitter. We get bitter. We get into like negative thought patterns that just continue because it becomes like a pattern in our brain. Bingo. And you just quoted a whole lot of neurology because when you take that idea, concept number one, I'm me, this person hurt me, I am mad at them. I'm angry. And by the way, God let it happen. So I think I'm mad at him too. And then so it goes to this spot in the brain through the neuron, the way the neurons fire. And you conclude life is not fair. And I, and I don't like it so much. And you, you run that pattern neurologically. And what happens? It literally etches a channel in your brain. And you run that thought a few hundred thousand times. And you habituate in bitterness. And it's easy to do that. Easy. And Paul says, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. We've got to reset. We're going we're gonna to run the neurological pathway in a different direction. And we're going to put that behind us. And we're going to press on to what's in front of us. So the pattern, uh, Tupan, Tupas, a topographical map, seeing the lay of the land, seeing the big picture, the pattern, the borders. We've got to follow those people. Keep our eye on those people. Look at this comment. It, it, it's beautiful. Um, for our citizenship is in heaven. Uh, polituma, I, I know, they're a political word. It's another word that's absolutely rare, and yet here it is in the New Testament. Uh, by the way, the way this is written in the Greek text, it would be translated something like this. The citizen that we have in heaven, arche, first place. The citizenship we have in heaven takes precedent, is more important, is in first place in comparison to our citizenship on earth. That's really important. It's more important if if you are a Christian, that your citizenship is anchored first place in heaven, it takes precedent over you being an American citizen. That's what Paul is saying. And he says, by contrast, There are those who have their minds set on earthly things. These people are enemies. I want to read something from a writer in the first century. Kekelius, this is what he said about Christians. These are enemies of the cross. These Christians, quote unquote, put forward sick delusions. It's a senseless and crazy superstition, which leads to old womanly superstitions and to the destruction of all true religion. This is what a writer said of Christians in the first century. In other words, we're crazy. The Christians are the troublemakers. They're a threat to destroy true religion in Rome. And Paul says, "Uh uh-uh, no, 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 no. Our citizenship is in heaven, and that is what is most important. I love this. He said, our our citizenship in heaven, which we eagerly await a savior. By the way, the word savior is that is the customary word to describe the Caesar. The Caesar was the savior. So we have some little anti-imperial, little anti-government lingo here. Jesus is the real savior. He's the Lord. And he will transform the body of our lowly condition into conformity with his glorious body. Guess what, people? We get to fly. (laughs) We get to fly. We get to walk through walls. It's going to be awesome to have this body. 
Uh, Ed, I know you've had some joint replacements and you're doing a lot of weightlifting. Probably some of the joints are sore. I know my right shoulders. I may have to have surgery sometime. I don't know. Can you imagine having a body that doesn't hurt? Wouldn't that be great? No joint pain, you know, no arthritis, no, no soreness, no muscle soreness. It's going to happen. It's going to happen for those who are born again. Um, all right. This is going to be good. This is a challenge. Um, if you could describe the pattern that we're supposed to be submitting to, what would it look like? Okay, I remember, you know, Wednesday night talking about this stuff. You know, the Episcopals kind of do their service the way they do, you know, and the Catholic service the way they do the Catholic service. And, you know, Church of Christ have theirs, and, and the Pentecostals, you know, they do their service. I was talking with a friend uh, Saturday, and he goes, y'all don't handle snakes, do you? And I said, no, no, that, that's a different church. We don't handle snakes, you know, and Charismatics do their stuff, and, you know, the Baptists do their stuff, and, and you know, I've, I've come out of the Baptist tradition for many, many years, and, you know, you come in, there's a, there's a call to worship by the choir, and there's a welcome, and then there's some hymns, and then there's a prayer for the offering, and while the offering is being passed, someone sings a special music, and after that's done, the sermon, and the sermon is ended with an invitation, and after that, there's a closing prayer, and you go home. There's your Baptist service. And I went through, the, you, 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 okay, you're nodding, you know what I'm talking about. It seems like, now that's etched in my brain. I don't know how many times I've, I've been a part of those things. Well, who gets it right? Who's right? Do we get it right? Like, are we the only people to figure this thing out on planet Earth? That'd be interesting to know. And by the way, the answer is no. You're not. What is a pattern? What's the right way to do this thing? Is there a pattern? And you got to cut it and fit it according to the pattern. Okay? And you can't veer off. There's no veering off to do a different pattern. This is the marker you've got to keep your eye on. You've got to keep your eye on the people doing the pattern. What would it look like? I offer the following. All right? And I'm trying not to be too technical because if I did, I'd have 200 entries here. Okay? So I'm kind of generalizing some things down. So... So here's the first one. If you want to be a part of this pattern, this expectation, you've got to be born again, okay? If you've never experienced the new birth, what it means to put your faith in Jesus Christ, that his crucifixion pays for the guilt of your sin. You sin, he pays the debt, you put your faith in him, there's a transfer. He moves his righteousness to you. It's a mystery. You're born again, and it's awesome. And that's where it starts. That's step one. Step two, baptism. That's not optional. The scriptures are very clear. This is what you do. You get baptized. The Lord's Supper. This is where the pattern starts. You put your faith in Christ. Terry, your testimony. Beautiful last Sunday. You put your faith in Christ. You're born again. You're baptized as a symbol of that, embodying what that means, death, resurrection. And you take the Lord's Supper. We have life in him. All right, we got that. That's pretty basic. Now the pattern's starting to take a little more specific shape. Memorizing and repeating the words of Jesus. Price tag just shot up real high on the pattern. Okay. Uh, Stephen has a gift. Stephen just is a leader. He's guiding men in memorizing the Sermon on the Mount, the book of James. I'm not sure what else you guys are doing. Um, I want them to memorize Leviticus and, and Numbers, and I, I don't know what's holding back on that one, but they're memorizing the Sermon on the Mount. It's those names, and you can't pronounce them just right. So, but they are getting the words of Jesus. Ryan, you're doing that. The words of Jesus are being hidden in their hearts. Amen. Yeah, that's kind of the point, isn't it? If you want to be cut according to the pattern, if you're going to focus on it, you memorize and repeat the words of Jesus. You replicate and imitate the actions of Jesus. You, it's not just belief and you send us some cool ideas. It's a life you live. 
This is the pattern. And I'm using the word practice several times here. And I mean by that, the, the New Testament uses this word a lot. And it means the habit and the routine of doing something. Uh, like Ed is doing CrossFit. And he does it all the time. It's his practice to do CrossFit. Does that make sense? So the practice of faith. I feed birds. I clothe flowers. Can't you trust that I'm going to take care of you? And if you have faith, you say, yes. I will be fed. I will be clothed. He knows the number of hairs in my head. I'm going to be okay. He will not neglect me. The practice of faith. The practice of sound doctrine. Do you understand how important that is? We can't pollute the gospel. This is a critical step. Because sometimes a lot, a lot of people become enemies of the cross of Christ. Because they have this casual, and believe what you want. And you know, I, I believe everybody's going to eventually get there. Whatever road they take. All roads lead to Rome. No, they don't. There's only one gospel. There's only one Savior. There's only one way to God through the Savior. And that's it. And if you're going to be caught according to the pattern, if you're going to submit to that, you have to maintain doctrinal integrity. You can't say it's, it's pick and choose and believe what you want. Jesus Christ is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. And we've got to practice sound doctrine. What about practice of prayer and fasting? The people that take that seriously. The practice of forgiveness, like Elizabeth Elliot. Can I say the obvious? Those on Facebook, and by, by the way, Facebook people, thank you. Thank you for checking in. It means everything that you're a part of this. Um, I want you to post comments and ask questions. Be a part of this. Um, if you had even just a few years into the adult world, you know the importance of forgiveness. It's a big, big deal. Okay, It's so big. Hey, oh, remember that memorize the words of Jesus thing? If he gives mercy to us, we extend mercy. As I have forgiven you, you forgive others. Big deal. If you're going to follow the pattern, you're going to practice forgiveness. You're going to practice love. What did Jesus say in the Gospels? They will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. The practice of spiritual gifting. If you do not know what your spiritual gift is, please talk to me about this afterwards. You need to know and practice and walk out your spiritual gifting. How about this one? The practice of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience. And those are the kinds of people I need to keep my eye on. Those that do that. Just a few more. The practice of unity in the body of Christ. Uh, I've been doing this for a long, long time. Getting close to 40 years of serving the body of Christ. And I can tell you the people who scare me the most are those who are willing to tear churches apart. And they will take the most absurd off-the-wall issues or they will take even some serious issues and they will destroy a church over it. And then I see others who are fighting to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And it's beautiful. They're peacemakers. And they, they work hard at creating unity and fighting for unity. Lastly, they practice giving for the ministry of the church, the mission of the church, and also for the needs of the poor. It says of Judas that Judas was resentful of the money that was given to the poor, that he would often pilfer the money box because he was greedy. So the early followers of Jesus did these things. This is the pattern. This is the way that we follow Jesus. So again, this self-emptied life, 
in the life full of Jesus looks like this. This is the pattern. Now, you might, you know, like, hey, Chris, you forgot this one or that. I know. If we really got the microscope over this thing, we'd be here for a long, long time. Okay. I'm trying to generalize and sum it up into some pretty cogent things. So, all right. You are the body of Christ. Do you understand the importance of keeping our eye on these things? How important it is to speak from your gift with wisdom and as though the Holy Spirit is speaking through you. So, you're the church. Paul says, join me in the fellowship of imitating together Jesus. Keep your eye on those who follow the same pattern. Be alert to those who are enemies of the cross of Christ. Those people have, their, their appetite drives them on and they're damaging the church. Remember, your citizen, which takes first place, it takes precedent over citizen on, on, on earth. And we eagerly wait for a savior who's gonna transform our bodies, broken and weak as they are, and we're gonna get a body bent and shaped around his glorious body. And it's gonna be awesome. You're the church. Care for yourselves well. What are some things that have to click in our minds? How would you offer counsel? Speak from your gifts on living out according to this pattern. What would you say? Christchurch, own this thing. And those online, I need to hear from you. Boy, isn't that a great question, Terry? Yes. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Someone else? I have a question. Yeah. So the practice of sound doctrine, mm-hmm. is that becoming more difficult now in discerning what sound doctrine is? There's a lot of I mean, with all the technology we have, we have a lot of avenues, we have a lot of translations of the Bible and stuff, but, and that's great, but with that does become a lot of wolves in sheep's clothing and a lot of mixed messages out there, and how can we know that what, how, I guess my question is, how can we know that we are following sound doctrine mm. and not be confused? 
Kathy, that is absolutely brilliant. I want to make sure that you heard that online. Kathy's asking, what does it take to practice sound doctrine? How do you know your belief system is sound and fair and reasonable? Uh, and, and Kathy, this, that's just hard. And so I offer some things very humbly. I offer some things out of my own brokenness and my journey in these things. Um, I've, I've commented before, you know, when I was in seminary 25, 30 years ago, uh, one of my professors, Dr. Steve Wilkes, told us that at that time, over 20,000 registered denominations. 20,000. That was like 30 years ago. Guess what? They can't all be right. Okay, they can't be. It's impossible, you know. So what happens, uh, Kathy, is sometimes, you know, one, one personality, you know, he's, he's, he's having his quiet time and he reads something and, and it says, like in Acts 16, that, uh, um, or, or I'm sorry, Mark 16, that you can drink poison and handle snakes and you'll not die. And they pull that from a reference of the Apostle Paul in Acts. And they go, that's real faith. That's the real deal. It says it in the Bible. Snake handling, you know. And all of a sudden, this preacher comes to the pulpit and goes, I just have to unload the deepest burden of my heart. And and he packages it really well, you know. So you got to believe him, the way he's acting. And, And he says, if you really have faith... You pick up a rattlesnake. And he, he spins it and everybody goes, he's right. Well, preacher, where's the snakes? And he just happens to have a box of snakes. And, and now the one by one. And they do that to prove their faith. So there you go, Kathy. That's how it starts. A lot of this starts because people, personalities, typically males, uh, read something. They grab something typically out of context. They spin it, they copyright it, they can it, they put the lid on the can, they sit on it, and and it becomes their brand. And hundreds of thousands of people are doing it, you know. Um, It's hard. So, Kathy, here's my confession. If it's something that Jesus didn't say, and he didn't say it repeatedly and clearly. If it's something he didn't do repeatedly and very clearly, then I'm going to hold it in profound question. And if it doesn't square up with John, and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Peter, and James, and, and the heavy hitter teachers in the New Testament, if I'm not seeing it square up in a kind of reasonable way, then I have to conclude that that is questionable. That can be more about a man-made perception or idea. And, I'm, and I'm, it's fine to, that they think it or whatever. But in terms of sound doctrine, it doesn't make my list. Now, that's what I have to do, okay? Now, I realize that sounds real easy and real slick. I'm not excusing anything. There are people, scholars, men and women, far more intelligent far more skilled in Hebrew or Greek than I will ever be better at theology. And I, and I hold them high regard. But I got to keep it a pretty narrow lane to run in. And, if, and my goal is to, to memorize the words of Jesus, to repeat those words, and to try to re- replicate his actions. And when I do that, I become a, a sound a follower of Jesus, and I embrace sound doctrine. There are things I've gotten wrong through the years, Kathy. And I can't go back and remember where I said it to who and when and go back and say, hey, sorry, I got that one wrong. It's actually this. Um, when I do at that moment, I'll always do my best to be honest about it. It's hard. It's hard. And by the way, just because you know a few Greek words doesn't mean you're right doesn't mean you're right at all. I remember reading a track from, from Camp, Preacher Camp, that dude. When was it, 20, 2012 or something, Christ is coming back, remember that? And, how, and, and I was like, hundreds of thousands of people bought into the idea that he's coming back in October 23rd, 2012, it was. 
And I remember one of the followers gave me a track selling me. And I, I was reading false doctrine. All of, but you know what? It was full of Greek words. <laughs> all of Greek words. Well, according to the Greek, you know. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you. Anybody online? Question, comment, Stephen? Yeah, Randy Sharp says, doing or practicing an action or response that is like Christ will eventually become second nature to us and become habit. To be like Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 12, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Mm. Randy, thank you so much. Dan, I want to mention you. Um, you logged on Wednesday night as we finished up Revelation. And Dan read from 2 Peter chapter 3. It's a really interesting text where, where Peter says, and by the way, beloved Paul, we love this guy, etc., who writes some things that are hard to understand. Okay, so, and I love that comment. So, Kathy, if Peter, who walked on water, says there's some stuff Paul writes that's hard to understand, then who am I to think I got Paul figured out? I don't, but okay, there's some things that are hard to understand. Does anybody know when Paul really got angry? Like, really got upset? And what was it about? What's that, Andrew? Somebody messed with the church. People that upset, and what's that? The gospel is being uh, tainted. Yes, the corrupting, the polluting of the gospel. In fact, Patch, that's why he wrote Galatians. You read Galatians. In fact, he uses another rare word of people who polluted the gospel. He said, someone has bewitched you. You are under some kind of a twisted, demonic influence to believe you can add to the gospel. Paul came unglued when that happened. And it's interesting that in Galatians, he doesn't say anything nice about the church. <laughs> he didn't say, hi, it's me, Paul. I love you so much. You know, I pray about you every day. And I'm so grateful that we've walked together in this gospel. And he doesn't end it that way either. He comes out swinging. He is really upset when he writes Galatians. So um, you see the list? There's, you, know, you might add more, or that's the essence. You know, Jesus said, what do you do if you really want to be a disciple? What do you do about love? You know, if you just love God with all your heart and love people as yourself, you keep all the rules, all 613, if you're a Jew. I mean, it's not hard, right? It's love. Anybody else on how we live this out? Andrew? I think that we, need, we actually need more so than And the ancients knew this. So the Spartans wouldn't write down their laws. They they didn't believe that writing down their laws would ever would ever help anybody. So they required the boys to learn <coughs> by example. And they would take all the boys and sit them at a table with an elder. And their job for that day was to go out and find examples of the people who behaved honorably or dishonorably according to what they had learned. And then they had to explain it. Because then they would get pictures in their heads of what was the right thing, the wrong thing for the Spartans. But when yeah. we do that as believers, when we take into our hearts pictures in our heads of people who are doing those things. So, I mean, this, can I give examples of people in our church? Okay, so when I think about how you have um, composure and grace and infinite patience, I think of Janice Trice taking two little toddlers and a kindergartner through airport security by herself with unreasonable people. When I, okay, and that example is more powerful to me when I'm stressed out than any kind of list because I've got a picture in my head. I know exactly what her face would look like as someone chews her out for having toddlers <laughs> and she smiles and walks past. When I want to know what it's like to be obedient, even though you don't want to, and you don't like the law, but you're going to follow it, I think of Terry, who's so strong, but if, but he's, you know, he's 
he's going to do what's been asked of him. And I think of, when I think of um, grace that's extended to people who are in trouble, I think of Debbie and Jordan. When I think of people, um, when I think of people who are just going to come alongside and help, I think of Matt and Laura, and I have particular ways that I would just see their face. I think actually that's what we really need. We need stories and pictures of people that we can call to our mind when it gets really, when it gets um, really, really difficult. Yeah, yeah. I think, so here's an image in my mind. I think of a lady named Andrea Lowry who has this ability to make chicken and rice soup. And she puts it in a big mason jar and she gives it to people to encourage them. Yeah. I think of Tom James, who's got this sheepdog thing in him to protect. I think of that. Ed Lauer, you embody grace. You epitomize so many of, of these things of mercy and grace and kindness. Uh, Matt and Laura, um, Matt and Laura are super kind. They gave me and Lisa a coffee grinder, okay? And so every morning during my morning ritual to get my IV started, I grind coffee and, and I go, that's, that's a gift from Matt and Laura. Matt is so generous. He's so kind. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, behold, a man had two sons. And the father said to the first son, go work in my vineyard. And he said, sure, dad, and didn't do it. Jesus went to the second son, work in my vineyard. And he said, no, but later felt bad about it and worked instead. Of the two sons, which one did the will of the father? Someone else. Wisdom on how we live out. And, and, and live and bend our lives around this pattern. Philip. Um, when I look at those principles that are on the screen, I think about um, kind of some parameters and freedom in pursuing them. And I'm going through a book series called Boundaries right now by Henry Cloud that's really good. But it talks about how in our walks in life, we need limits on things and with people and, with, and, and by doing so you actually have more freedom to do the things you want to do in life but also uh, I think it can be really easy to take a list like that and make it a law and make it a template and make it something you just have to press for and you lose right. the heart of God in it yeah. and so I think you need to allow grace yeah. in this model for yeah. sure yeah. Um, I think you need to allow open mindedness too and be able to be humble and be corrected. Sure. Otherwise, you can go down the snake uh, hole shirt, you know, theory. Sure. And um, all that to say, I think that's a big key in Paul's teaching here, too, because you see the people that were practicing that were chasing their stomachs or their own desires and had no open mindedness or grace toward God. And then you have God. He's going to make us glorious through him. And it all goes through him. So at the end of the day, just practicing with the grace, practicing through an open mind, and practicing with the faith and a heart for yes. Jesus and doing those things will, will lead you straight. Oh, it's good. It's good. Someone else? Um, yes, Laura. Mm-hmm. to really break apart right now. I think that's just been really striking hard at this time with everything going on. 
Thank you, Lord. That means so much. And you know what? We're some of us having struggled with unity, and guess what? It's over. A mask. <laughs> What's going to happen, Andrew, when the persecution hits? <laughs> I mean, you can, we can have stress issues over a mask, stress issues over political things. That's the baby stuff, people. Can you imagine being in Saudi Arabia and try to live according to the pattern? Or Eritrea, or Yemen, or China, or Iran. Can you imagine? The price goes way, 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 way up. This is easy. This is really easy. But when emotions get raw, and and personalities come out, and they get a little mouthy, now friendships and fellowships can get strained. And everybody's got an opinion. Everybody does. It's hard. Who else? Why does this matter? Stephen, anybody else online? Anybody? Um, all right, you ready? Can your picture be up here? The way you're living your life, if we could capture the pattern of your life, can you put it up there and say, Christ Church, behold, follow them. This is it. They model the pattern. Skapos, keep your eye on that white, so mark this person, observe them. Or would it be, no, no, I think you need to go look someplace else. (laughs) Go find somebody else. Do you feel like you're living out the gospel and your life has been shaped around it? Uh, Am I living that out? Is my life a pattern worthy of imitation? Is your life a pattern worthy of imitation? So, and you know what? We don't have to get in a plane and go across the world to some tribal people. God tells you to, I recommend you do it. We don't have to do that to be a pattern. It can, it can happen at home, just how you do family relationships. It can happen at work on how you treat your boss or how you talk about your boss or how your boss talks to you or colleagues or in-laws and, and cousins and relatives and, and how you set an example on political things, we can show a pattern. And that pattern is to be Jesus. So, wow. Man, this is good. This is good. Uh, someone else, anybody? Final word, Stephen, final word before I pray. Let me do that. Abba, Father, I love you. And... Thank you for each person. Thank you for Andrea and Ed. Thank you for Gordon and Debbie. Thank you for all these people. Matt and Laura. Thank you for Joe Summit. Just helps and serves and uses gifts for you. Thank you so much for the way you model your son through people here in this beautiful gift called Christ Church. God, please help us to do the stuff of the pattern, to follow you, your ways, and the people who are committing to your ways. Please, thank you, Lord Jesus, for mercy. I'm asking in your name, amen.